Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, along with rock and roll expert Frank Ost. Frank, already the end of season five, and welcome to it. Yeah, this is something, isn't it? Five seasons. I've been enjoying all the stuff we've done, the featured artists. We still have some more solo artists and and other groups like War we talked about last week. I'd really like to to hit on them as well before too long. Great. We're also going to be bringing back from time to time, sparingly, some of the featured artists we've already had in the past. David Bowie in Chicago, Springsteen, and not all the time, but uh, once in a while we'll hit on our featured artists that we've had over the past four or five seasons. It'll be fun. And we've been, of course, working on uh, getting some new new spe- special things so yeah. we'll, we'll be talking about new things as we go along as season six is just around the corner sure today in rock history may the 16th 1960 billboard magazine reported that a fellow named barry gordy was thinking of starting his own record label three of them actually one of them named motown that's right 1965 the beach boys performed help me Rhonda" on the ed sullivan show and a year later pet sounds was released in 1966. Do you have that album? I think I do. I don't. I I can say for sure that I, I never bought that. Wouldn't it be nice? Loop John B. God only knows. Great album. The Monkees' headquarters was released. It would be yet another number one for them. This date in 1967. And then three years later, Randy Bachman announced he was leaving the Guess Who. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a shame, really, because... Uh, Boy, when they had it all together there, they were really a force for a few albums. Yeah, they were. <laughs> I guess if you think about where the guests who would have been in the 70s, then BTO would have been a good place for them to be. You know, Sure, okay. sure. That makes sense to me. The TV special Motown 25 aired live on NBC in 1983. I remember kind of turning it on. You know, we had cable back then, which was nice. So we Ooh, had more than just 3, 5, and 8. Nice. And 43. So... I found it, and wow, just in time to see Michael Jackson's famous moonwalk. Yeah, that was one of the probably one most one of the most famous uh, uh, live things. Yeah, live yeah, out of nowhere things. Exactly, uh, kind of like the you know the Beatles on Ed Sullivan or yeah. Elvis Presley, one of those type things. It just yes. kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Sammy Davis Jr. in 1990 passed away after a battle with throat cancer. He was just 64 years old. Oh, and Jim Henson. Also died, died, died in this date at only 53. Oh, wow. I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah. Birthdays, Henry Fonda, 1905. Margaret Ray, the co-author and illustrator for children's books, including Curious George. Mm-hmm. Liberace, born in this date in 1919. That's right. And then Yvonne Craig, one of the cat women, 1937. <laughs> <laughs> Actor Pierce Brosnan at one time was uh, uh, James Bond. That's he actually definitely was yes yeah very yes. debonair he thought he was good in that role mm-hmm. for a while Richard Page the uh, former lead singer of Mr Mister 1953 and Olga Corbett the Soviet gymnast was born in 1955 Deborah Winger turned 67 Janet Jackson turns 57 today wow time flies doesn't it yes it does good lord. Time for Download Discovery, and Frankie, you've got one from a group that I made a case for, for nomination in the Rock Hall of Fame. Who are they? That's right, you did. It's Progal Harem, and the tune is A Salty Dog. float 
Salty Dog is a song written by Gary Brooker and Keith Reed, maybe one of the oddest singles in history. It was 4 minutes and 41 seconds long, crawled at a snail's pace tempo, and until the very end was, quite frankly, a downer of a record. <laughs> and there's no lead guitar on part, so Robin Trower doesn't even appear on the record. <laughs> it's easy to believe that it never charted in the United States. DJs had no idea what to do with it. And that's when it began to make a comeback, being played on FM stations until it finally found a following. With this beautiful Chopin-like orchestration, beautiful arrangement, and oblique lyrics, it was truly one of the first progressive masterpieces. Without Robin Trower. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You know, the 1972 live album features that song they did in concert with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. That's one that features Conquistador. Yes, uh, that was a big hit. And um, again, they did a wonderful version on that record, too. And uh, I guess there, uh, Robin actually plays bass. Mm. (laughs) So they did get them, at least give them a, something to do. Something to do. <laughs> Mine is a group that's largely forgotten these days, but I really thought they were cool in the early, mid-90s. Enigma, the German New Age group. Mm, they had a okay. song called Return to Innocence. Really cool song. Uh, they also had another one called Sadness, Part 1, which I'm going to use as a best instrumental someday. Great. They both can be found in the Pure Moods album that I dug up from 1996. I was into just instrumental stuff you know from my days at 104 when we had the new age believe it or not mr tim yes i owned that also that cd pure moods pure yeah. moods absolutely i think enya was on there and yeah. yes sure they had some good stuff on there also they had a pure moods uh number two i think it was 1998 or nine or something song called Return to Innocence. It peaked at number four here in the States, but it's kind of been forgotten. It was also featured in lots of commercials and the Outer Limits episode when they brought that show back in the 90s. The show called My So-Called Life was used in commercials promoting the 1996 Summer Olympics. Yeah, I definitely remembered the song once you had once you brought it up, yeah. I, I kind of went back and, nope, oh, yeah, I remember. Really that. cool tune. That's Enigma, the German New Age group, and it's called Return to Innocence. And yours is Procoherum, Salty Dog. Mm-hmm. 
Best instrumentals, you got one from the Ventures. Oh, yes. Uh, theme from Hawaii Five O. Yeah. Well, anyone who watched TV in the late 60s or 70s had to have heard this classic theme song. by Morton Stevens, who composed numerous episode scores, and performed by the CBS Orchestra. Mm-hmm. The theme was then later recorded by The Ventures, whose version went to number four on the Billboard Hot 100 Pop Charts. Mm-hmm. It is considered by many to be one of the best television themes of all time, and it became one of The Ventures' biggest hits. The series and the theme song were resurrected for 2010. And the Ventures recorded a fresh take on their song for the new series. Did they? But the show's musical director rejected it in favor of a synthesizer version. Well, that didn't fly with the public, so he returned to the Ventures, sort of. Well, as the group's co-founder, Don Wilson, explained, after they'd gotten bad press on the synthesizer version, they copied our version right down to a T. Hmm. So, we're not playing on it there. We're getting ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, does what does 5-0 mean? That represents Hawaii standing as the 50th state. No kidding. <laughs> I had to look that up. <laughs> I would never have known that one. <laughs> I'll show the original with Jack Lord and James Bookham Dano MacArthur ran for 12 seasons. And things that you don't think of. When when I looked that up, I found out that I realized that the show only started nine years after Hawaii became a state. <laughs> Oddly enough, '68 and it came, became a state in '59. Yeah, so that's true. It was I just heard, nine yeah, years. I thought about that. The reboot of the series actually lasted for ten years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I don't think I ever saw one episode. I'm sure I didn't. I know I saw <laughs> the other one. I don't know. It was on Friday night or something back when Friday night was. Popular for TV, right? And then there was the, uh, the the wave starting to come in. Yeah, and then, I love the wave. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about how some artists just could not get over that hump because there's always something in the way. Sure, had physical in the way of the song by Foreigner, "Waiting for a Girl Like You" for ten weeks. Yeah, "Get Back" was number one and 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 staved off a lot of songs. Well, Hawaii Five O is number four. The week of May 10th, 1969, number one at the time was Aquarius, Let the Sun Shine In by The Fifth Dimension, great which tune. was number one for weeks yeah, and weeks and weeks. Yeah, that was a great tune. There were so many songs that never made it to number one, but the Venture song, Hawaii Five-O, made it to number four. Nice. So mine would be Enya from the Watermark album, 1988. Peter Gabriel, we're going to talk about as our featured artist before too long. He's really into world music and promoting world artists. Sure. And I really like that about him. And the humanitarian work he's done. We'll be hitting on that in a minute. But 
Talk about great world music. You want to hear something from the second best um, artist, best selling artist in Ireland of all time behind you, too. Hmm. That would be Enya. That's right. That so would the, be, yes. The 1988 album Watermark also features the song, which you may, you may know, Orinoco Flow. Sure. And so. She sold over 75 million records worldwide. And a f- more than a few to me and yeah. our household. So River is the name of the song. It's one of the one of the uh, several instrumentals on Watermark. It's a really good album, as are her other ones like Shepherd Moon and Day Without Rain. So get your hands on Enya if you ever have a chance to um, find her in the CD store, if there is one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or if somebody gives one to you just for fun, you know, here's an Enya CD. Take a listen to it because it's totally worth it, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, we did the same thing at our house. In fact, it got to the point where... Um, We'd put on Enya, and my daughter would literally go, not her again. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of did overplay it, but uh, we loved it. Great vocals, great instrumentals. That's Enya from Ireland. Spotlight year 1975, the year that uh, they all came out, you said. They all came out. Yes, they did. Disco was coming out, too. Yes, yeah, sure was. The Hustle, Get Dancing. Do, do it any way you want to. Do it. Do it any way. You know, mm-hmm. Dynamite. Oh, my and, God. And Get Down Tonight. That's the way I like it. That's just some of the disco hits. One Hit Wonders. Chevy Van. I'm Not Lisa. The Dwight Twilley Band. I'm On Fire. Ooh, that's a good yeah, one. That's a good yeah, tune. That's a really good tune.
Pilot and Magic, Lovin' You by Minnie Ripperton. Love Won't Let Me Wait. A lot of these have been our one-hit wonders, haven't sure, they? Sure they have, Feelings yes. by Morris Alberts. Remember oh, that one? The tearjerker from the mm-hmm. fall. Jackie Blue, Ozark Mountain, Daredevils. That's right, Walking yes. in Rhythm. That's a nice song from the spring, The Blackbirds. And then Poetry Man, Phoebe Snow. That's right, yeah. And Phoebe Ace Snow. with Paul Carrick and How Long. What a, what a great voice. Just some of the great one-hit wonders from that year. You've got mm-hmm. some good albums, too. What, what do you have? Yeah, um, well... Number six, That's the Way of the World by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, yeah, that's when I first started getting with them. Yeah, I think that's when everyone Mm -hmm. first started getting with them. Uh, This was actually a soundtrack album to a 1975 movie of the same name. Now, I've never seen it, nor do I know anyone who ever has. Neither. But I'm sure glad it was made because the beautiful title cut is one of my favorites of all time. Boy, you know, we were talking about when that song was out in the fall, Get Down Tonight, Daisy Jane, mm-hmm. I'm Sorry Calypso, that song, they all remind me of starting sophomore year of high school over Lakewood and great, if, any time of year, but the fall especially, that's, that's the way of the world. What a great right. tune. And Shining Star. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another one. Mm-hmm. Number five, ooh, Gratitude by Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> So after hitting it big with the above record, they did a very 70s thing and put out a two-record live album. It's an excellent set and shows just what a great live act they are. Even better, the last side of the record has the then-new studio songs, Sing a Song and Can't Hide Love. Number four, Red Octopus by Jefferson Starship. Number one for four very non-consecutive weeks, (laughs) as oddly it was never number one two weeks in a row. That That's is kind of, weird. That is really strange. Boy, Miracles is a good song, isn't it? It sure is. Uh, it's the best-selling album by any incarnation of Jefferson yeah. Airplane and its spin-off groups. But you got to hear the album version of Miracles. The oh, chopped-up yeah. single version just doesn't cut it for Definitely. me. Definitely. Absolutely. Agree totally. Number three, One of These Nights by the Eagles. Oh, yeah. Hard to believe, but before this album, the Eagles were not a supergroup and hadn't had a top ten album. That all changed with this record with three top five singles and four times platinum sales. Yeah. Their career was made, and the best was yet to come. Yeah, they kind of went electric, didn't they? (laughs) They sure did. Number two, Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. That's a good one. Um, A sprawling double record set. As I like to say, this is their White Album. Um, The band wrote and recorded eight new songs for the album in early 1974 at Headley Grange a country house in Hampshire, and it gave them kind of plenty of time to improvise arrangements and experiments with their recording. The total playing time covered just under three sides of an LP, so they decided to expand it into a double LP by including previously unreleased tracks from the sessions from earlier albums. Physical Graffiti was commercially and critically successful upon its release and debuted at number three in the U.S., eventually being certified 16 times platinum. Mm, mm-hmm. How many? 16. 16 yeah, times 16. platinum. Pretty good. Unbelievable. But number one, of course, we mentioned it before. The hustle? Cap- Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy yeah. by Elton John. Mm-hmm. The album was certified gold before its release and also reached number one in the first week of its release in the U.S. Billboard 200 the first album to ever achieve both honors. 
the album reportedly sold 1.4 million copies within four days <laughs> of its release, and of course stayed in the top position for seven weeks. Wow, yeah, it's a good album, and Elton says it's his favorite because they didn't have a ton of chart success with the singles. Someone Saved My Life Tonight didn't make it to number one and only hit number, like, number four. That's right. Harmony yes. is, not Harmony, um, Meal Ticket, mm-hmm. that's on there as well. It's a good album. I really like it. Uh, I like Rock of the Westies just as well, too. So 1975, good year for him. Oh, great year for him. And um, like I said, it's it, still at the top of his game. Country crossover artists were big back then, weren't yes, they? Yes, they were. John Denver, Pure Prairie League with Amy, The Outlaws, uh, Marshall Tucker Band, one of my favorites, mm-hmm. Jesse Coulter, Ray Stevens with Misty. Remember the old Johnny Mathis tune? He updated it and... A little up-tempo. Olivia, of course. Please, Mr. Please. That's right, yes. Glenn Campbell, Rhinestone Cowboy, number one for Boy, several he, weeks. And you look back when, when we do the, the research for this, you find out just how many great songs he had, oh, and yeah. that was another one. Freddie Fender. Remember <laughs> him? <laughs> That's, yes, I do. Orleans, Dance With Me. Uh, Michael Murphy with Wildfire, now mm-hmm. Michael Martin Murphy. Ozark Mountain Daredevils had Jackie Blue. That's right. Roger Whitaker, not really a country artist, but he was born in Nairobi. I, I didn't know any other artist who was born in Nairobi, but no. he had uh, New World in the Morning and The Last Farewell. What a great voice Roger Whitaker had. That's right. And The Amazing Rhythm Aces with Third Rate Romance from mm-hmm. 1975. Just some of what was happening there and with our country crossover artists. Yeah, great stuff. Psychedelic versus pop. This is a good one, Frankie. Mar- Mary Hopkin, those were the days, my friend. I thought they'd never end, you know. It was number four the week of October 26, 1968, and this song, along with the one we're going to have after this, it's opposite ends of the spectrum. You couldn't get any farther apart. <laughs> Those were the days by Mary Hopkin, would peak at number two starting the following week, spend three weeks there, and couldn't get past Hey Jude. Oh, okay, that's good reason, yes. But the last week of October... Mary made a big, huge leap into the top five from number 13 the week before, which happened a lot. And then they also fell off the charts almost as quickly. Gotcha. So they didn't spend a ton of time, uh, especially on the way down. The Welsh-speaking singer, <laughs> who was once married to Tony Visconti. Oh, no, I didn't realize that. Done a lot of work with David Bowie and many, many sure. others. One of the first singers to be signed to the Apple label. The song was produced by Sir Paul McCartney. Huge hit internationally. This song hit number one in a number of countries, 17 countries to be exact. And it was produced by Paul? Paul. I never realized that. Wow. Never made it to number one here. But 17 other countries. We failed to be the 18th (laughs) because, hey Jude, a Beatles song. (laughs) Uh, Definitely a Paul McCartney song. (laughs) Would keep it out. That's so funny. So those were the days, my friend. Sing 
Mary Hopkin. Number four, the week of October 26, 1968. And at number three... I am the god of hellfire, and I bring you fire. Fire by the crazy world of Arthur Brown. Can you imagine these songs being played back-to-back on Wixie, which no, I'm sure they a, were? not a chance. Because the, the way that song started. Yeah, yeah. The lead instrument in this case was Vincent Crane's Hammond organ, singer Arthur Brown's opening proclamation, I am the god of hellfire, became a lasting catchphrase. The song ends with the sound of... A Wind from Hell, <laughs> along with one of Brown's trademark banshee screams. Uh. Finally, even though the song went to number two and the album number seven, the follow-up, Strange Lands, was not released until 1988, <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> hey Jude actually debuted in the Hot 100 at number 10. Wow, I didn't realize that. Number 10. One Hit Wonder Time, Frankie, The Fifth Estate, Ding Dong, The Witch is oh, Dead. I remember that and had the single. Because <laughs> <laughs> why would you buy the album? Sure. Fifth Estate, starting out as the D-Men, toured with the Easy Beats, the Lovin' Spoonful, the Birds, the Turtles, and Gene Pitney. Not all at once, but wow. Oh, some heavy hitters there. I wonder how long it took for them to get to Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. Oh, for God's sake. And they're set. It peaked at number 11 the week of July 1st, 1967. It was also covered by Bing Crosby, Ella Fitzgerald, Sammy Davis Jr. sang it with Buddy Rich on the Sounds of 66. <laughs> it's a live album. They sang at the Sands Hotel in Vegas. Good grief. And, of course, first done by the Munchkins. 
The Fifth Estate, though, had this big hit in 1968, and it was from the (laughs) highest charting song by Harold Arlen or anything else from the Wizard of Oz soundtrack. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote it. Since the chart era began in 1940. It was recorded in five different languages and covered by the Monkees on their final episode, airing in 1968. Wow. My sister Mickey would have seen it, but I'm sure I didn't. By then, I lost interest in the Monkees. Yeah, the Monkees thing, uh, for me, kind of came and And went. went. Yes. Two hit wonders, Golden Earring, Radar Love, and Twilight Zone. Ooh, absolutely. Talk about time between uh, songs, 74 to 82. It's almost a 10-year period. If there is a record for the amount of time between songs, that had to be it, don't you think? Besides our crazy world of Arthur Brown. Well, of course, the crazy world of Arthur Brown. But um, yes, Twilight Zone was another one of those songs that came out of nowhere. Nowhere. Uh, and you said, "Are these guys still together?" Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and Radar Radar Love was a good song. Peaked oh. at number thirteen the week of July twentieth, nineteen seventy four. And can you tell me what the number one song in the nation was that week? In nineteen seventy four. Summer. Summer? Uh, Billy Don't Be a Hero? No. It was actually a good one. It was George McRae's Rock Your Baby. Oh, yes. That was another one, yes. That would be almost a... the rock uh, era. Yeah, the the rock, the rock, the rock, yeah. Yeah. Not to mention... Rock the boat. (laughs) Not to mention Rock and Roll Heaven, which was kind of rock, but the song wasn't. It would almost be a decade, so we heard Twilight Zone, which, as you said, came out of nowhere. Hitting the top 10 almost nine years later, peaking at number 10, um, the week of like early February of 83, right in there. A song was actually covered by William Shatner. And I remember the video to it. Yeah. It was very, I mean, very simplistic. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. <laughs> yeah. It's good. That's a good tune as well. Oh, it is. William Shatner's 2011 album featured Twilight Zone and the album Seeking Major Tom. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting one. No, that William Shatner. Can't believe I missed that. Uh, now, now that he's been blasted into space, uh, he had a little bit of Major Tom in him, didn't he? Exactly. A few months ago. Mm-hmm. Artists who debuted at number one or number two: Frankie mm-hmm. Richard Harris, the actor. Ooh, that's I know it's got to be MacArthur Park. <laughs> yep, <laughs> debuted at number two in June 1968. That was um, it didn't debut at number two, but it it uh, landed at number two finally. And Richard Harris had that big hit for him, seven minutes and 21 seconds long. Exactly, a long, that... long song, way unheard of at the time. Yes, written by Jimmy Webb, who also brought us the By the Time I Get to Phoenix, sure. Up, Up and Away, The Worst That Could Happen, and Art Garfunkel's hit All I Know. This one by the Irish actor 
Richard Harris. Also played Dumbledore, you know, in the first few Absolutely. Harry Potter. Um, so he was just finishing up starring in the film Camelot when he met Jimmy Webb at like a fundraising party and said he'd like to record a record with Jimmy. And Jimmy goes, okay, whatever. For us, girl, it ran one step ahead as we followed in the dance. Between the parted pages and repressed in love's hot fevered iron, like a striped pair of pants. The spark is melting in the dark All the sweet green icing flowing down Someone left the cake out in the rain I don't think that I can take it Cause it took so long to bake it And I'll never have that recipe again Oh no So, like a week later... Richard Harris calls up Jimmy Webb and says, come on out to London. I really want to do the album. So oh, Jimmy okay. goes, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> oh, he didn't really take him seriously, but um, guess who played drums on MacArthur Park? I don't know. Hal Blaine. Hal Blaine, <laughs> I should have said it. <laughs> do you think like five minutes in, Hal's like, okay, when's the song going to end? Yeah, you know? that was uh, that was such a different song. I mean, just yeah. very strange. It's a, a cool song. I remember your jazz band played it, Liquid yes, High. absolutely. Yeah. Russell Reif hitting those high notes. If you haven't uh, heard the Maynard Ferguson oh, that's um, a good arrangement one. of MacArthur Park is what we're talking yeah. about, uh, it's excellent. That's uh, really, really you, good. It can be found on many of his albums. Now, the song, once it got going, the up-tempo part was right. really cool. It's just too long. But Jimmy Webb played the harpsichord on the song oh, MacArthur's I Park. Didn't, I didn't yeah. realize there was a harpsichord on there. <laughs> number two <laughs> in the States, number one in Canada and in Australia, covered a decade later by disco queen Donna Summer. That's right. She this did time have it a hit did hit the that. top of the charts yep. in the uh, fall of 78 for three weeks. Wow. So... Like we said before, I'm not sure why they brought it back again 10 years later, but they did. And it worked. And it worked. I'm sure D- Jimmy Webb didn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Royalties and whatnot. Just keep the royalties coming. Rock releases week of, of uh, May 16th, 1966. We're talking about this. Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Live at Leeds by The Who, 1970. Ooh, great live Did you like that album. one? Mm-hmm. Joe Walsh, but seriously, folks, that had Life's Been Good. Now, that's a song I don't mind if they chop it up, but I really like the longer version. It's eight minutes long or something. Exactly. Paul McCartney had McCartney 2 in 1980. Paul and Linda came out with Ram, 1971, this week. Elton John's Hockey Chateau. Oh, great album. Yeah. Turnstiles, Billy Joel, 1976. Elton John's Captain Fantastics was released in 1975. Shot right to the top, didn't exactly. it? Exactly. Steve Miller Band's Fly Like an Eagle a year later. One of my favorite albums by Elton John is The Fox. It didn't sell real well, but it has some really cool tunes on there, which I'll probably bring back in our download discovery and or best instrumental category before too long. Yeah, good idea. Elton John's The Fox. If you ever get a chance to listen to some of that album or all of it, I highly recommend it. What's Going On by... 
Marvin Gaye was oh. released in this week in 1971. One of my favorite albums of all time, and a lot of people's. I, I'm far, by far not the only one yeah. who feels that way. Remember uh, Blue Oyster Cult? You like them? I do. Agents I do. of Fortune was released. That album cover reminds me of a little bit of Turn of a Friendly Card. Oh, yeah, it does. Parsons, yeah. doesn't it? Yes. Same kind of feel. Yes. And the Monkees came out with Headquarters, which would rock it up to the top, 1967. Another one for them. Featured artist to round out Season 5 is Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. I got with him in uh, college radio station days, ACRN, with um, uh, Games Without Frontiers. Sure. 1980-81 right in there. Give us something else to play, right? Yep.
I always liked Salisbury Hill. That was a favorite of mine before that album was released because I knew Peter Gabriel was around. I just didn't know what to play. Sure. And so um, I really got with him, though, as the years progressed, and, and I really, really like him. Born Peter Brian Gabriel in 1950. His father, like Jay Giles' father, was an engineer. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. His mother had a musical background. And early on, his teachers noticed that Peter had a unique singing ability, but instead, he wanted to take piano lessons from his mom and also developed an interest in drums. Nice. I wonder if his flamboyancy on stage, costumes and stuff, at that point, or did that come later? I don't know. Oh, but later. Great singer, songwriter, producer, performer, progressive rock. I mean, he's, you can't pigeonhole him, can you? No, not really. He's an activist. He's worked with many of the top performers in his field, like Robert Fripp and Cat Stevens, Sting. Of course, Genesis, Kate Bush has worked with him a lot. His interest in world music inspired him to create WOMAD. It stands for World of Music, Arts, and Dance. Helps the Western world hear all different types of music. Right. And he created Real World Studios, which is a record label to help promote these lesser-known musicians from all over the world. This guy's very interesting. Yeah, and uh, having seen him a couple of times in concert, he usually has a band like that opening for mm-hmm. somebody you've never heard somebody of Somebody you've never heard of before. Yeah, from a different country or something like that. Human rights activist, too, Peter, is beginning a charity called Witness, which helps human rights activists use video and online technology to help human rights abuses, to help spot those. He's had a long-standing relationship also with Amnesty International. He sure has, it? yeah. You know, he was school friends with uh, Genesis member Tony Banks and Chris Stewart, who was a founding member and the original drummer for Genesis, uh, Chris Stewart was, before Phil Collins took over. Then they hooked up with Anthony Phillips, the original lead guitarist for the group. Wasn't that fun, you know? You just happen to be hanging around your mates in school, and they become Genesis. Exactly. Mike Rutherford was around there, and Phillips left after a couple of early albums. He wanted to pursue a solo career. But I never quite remember anything he did, but uh, I do remember Phil Collins. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because you wonder how on that small little island back then there were so many of those schoolmates that got together and formed bands because we've— We've we've said this a million times there. It's it's really something. It is. 1968 came from Genesis to Revelation. The 1970 Trespass. Phil Collins joined up after Phillips left, and Steve Hackett was also enlisted. You know, they just get these this talent. And the LP Nursery Crime came out a year later. And I think that's the first time I really ever heard of them. I yeah. don't know if I listened to it much, but I did hear that that record. For me, it was probably Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I knew Genesis sure. was around, but listening to Wixie, you know, I didn't hear a lot of Genesis You were never going to hear from it back then, no. But if I was listening to MMS, I would have for sure heard. Selling England by the Pound, and the live shows began showing the flamboyancy of Peter Gabriel, didn't That's that. right. Why do you suppose he did that? Just wanted to, you know, flamboyant? Yeah, and... I think that's just him. That's yeah. just his character, yes. There is lambs wool under my naked feet The one that's soft and warm Gives off some kind of heat A salamander scurries Into flame to be destroyed Imaginary creatures are trapped in birth, are 
So he left Genesis in 1975. I guess it was early on in the tour or something. He said, guys, I'm leaving. And they said, well, okay. Can you, <laughs> can you finish the show? <laughs> can you finish the tour? Apparently he said that before a show in Cleveland. Yeah, I, th- I think I do remember hearing that, yes. So then he released that first solo album, which featured Salisbury Hill yep. in 1977. For, what, the first three or four were all Peter Gabriel? They're all called Peter Gabriel, yeah. and they're only known as... They're kind of uh, known as the different, um, like when he's yeah. in a car. The car, the scratch, the, the scratch, melt. melt. Security, yes, yeah. Exactly. So the car would be um, the one with Salisbury Hill. That's exactly. with the rain on it. That's how I, yep. I knew it from uh, college days. Then two came out in 1978. Three in 1980, that had Games Without Frontiers. Yes, I also had uh, the song Biko on there, which mm. became a just huge part of his concert. So that was right around the time you saw him at the Coliseum, right? Yeah. And one of the best shows yeah. you've seen, if not Absolutely. the best. Absolutely, yes. We did one of our best live shows and I think worst live shows very early on in our, <laughs> our podcast. But, you know, um, that must have been a good, a good one, though, for you. Yeah, I've seen him twice, and he's just, uh, just unbelievable. He is the king of sight and sound. He has a wonderful um, band that he uses... Uh, Tony Levin from King Crimson is one of his usual uh, mates on uh, bass, but he also puts together just the sights. I can't even explain them. You have to see them. <laughs> yeah. You just have to see them. Sight and sounds, good way to put it, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. told the story about how he left Genesis, but they still, they're not, maybe not tight, but they still get together once in a while. And I think you told the story a couple of episodes or seasons ago when we were talking about Genesis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, They do not hate each other as often happens with these groups. And, you know, we've said it a million times, uh, uh, pointed it out, but that's not the way it is with the guys from Genesis. It was just that 
Peter wanted to do something totally different than what he could find in Genesis. And uh, years later, uh, the boys from Genesis got hold of him and went over and spent a whole afternoon with him, kicking around ideas. They were going to go on a tour together, and they would do, you know, some Phil Collins solo stuff, some Peter solo stuff, some early Genesis, just make a huge, big thing of it. And... They, as they said, Peter was all kinds of into it, and boy, he was excited about it. Yes, I'll let you know within a week or two. Well, a month later, they realized he was never going to call him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was the end of the, uh, yeah, the, the big tour. The, yeah. the experiment. Yeah. But no hard feelings. But that's the thing. They don't hate each other. Uh, they don't have anything against one another. There haven't been any huge lawsuits or anything. No, like that. that's good. Maybe yeah. they will do something sometime. I know Genesis was here back in the end of November with their their big tour. That's right. Yes. You know he's into soundtracks too, and um, did some of the 1989 Passion, The Last Temptation of Christ. Yes, remember he that was movie? Very yeah. heavily into that. Yeah, very yes. controversial, wasn't mm-hmm. it? The movie. The the big album for him was 1986's Five Time Platinum. So number two in the Billboard 200. And the number one in lots of other countries, Grammy nomination for Album of the Year, Losing Up to Graceland, Mm -hmm. featuring Sledgehammer. Great video. Oh, fantastic. Remains one of the most played videos on MTV. That was the same year that uh, Money for Nothing was out too. Another exactly, good video. yeah. That they really MTV was the biggest thing in the yeah. world right then. And they had some good videos. It was that one and the other one, Aha's Take on Me, which yeah, was out absolutely, of the fall yeah. You know. Yeah. Also, big time Red Rain in Your Eyes from the teen drama Say Anything, John yeah. Cusack, and, and those were all good sky. videos too. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
reached number one in Billboard's Hot um, Mainstream Rock tracks. I didn't know they had that, uh, but they did back in late uh, mid to late 80s. Number 26 on the Hot 100 that year was uh, In Your Eyes. So I never saw the movie. I'm not into teen romance and stuff like that. No, I never saw the movie, but of course I've listened to the song many times. Of course. Times. Maybe I've seen uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High a few times, because that's <laughs> kind of fun. But, you know, he did some stuff through the 80s and into 1990, Shaking the Tree, you know, 16 Gold Greats, a compilation album that features the song I Have the Touch, which was from 1982, and then was also featured in the 1996 film Phenomenon. John Travolta made that big comeback after Pulp Fiction and Phenomenon and Michael, and those were the the movies he did. 1992 brought us Us, used dozens of talented musicians and vocalists on this one, including Brian Eno and your friend and mine, Sinead O'Connor. That's right, The album sold very well. Mm -hmm. So he was doing well into the 90s, wasn't he? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Then another compilation album, 1992 live album called Secret World Live in 1994. And that's the uh, other time I saw him was the Secret World Tour. Tour. And boy, was that something. Where Just, was that at? Coliseum again? That was at the Coliseum. One of their last yep. shows there, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, yes. You know, the last. More soundtrack albums were followed. He's done a bunch of soundtrack albums, hasn't he? Yes, he has. He likes doing different stuff. And like I said, what I like about him is you can't pigeonhole his music. It's progressive. It's uh, flamboyant. It's straight ahead rock. It's pop here and there. You know, he's also been featured on TV shows like Miami Vice and Big Love and The Americans' his music. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Inducted in the Rock Hall with Genesis in 2010, and as a solo artist four years later, he's deserving. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That goes without saying. And I didn't know about all the world uh, music that he was into or the humanitarian stuff either. I think that's, that's real interesting. Yeah, and it's been something that uh, has been part of him as long as I can remember. In fact, I can remember the Amnesty International Tour and him being one of the main focuses. Uh, Of course, Sting was on there also. So it was really, it was fun to watch. Uh, And that was back when MTV was still playing music. And so they brought us uh, one of the concerts, and it was really good. Boy, MTV was big back then. Remember Live Aid? and. Mm -hmm. Boy, you know, I kind of missed those days. It was almost 40 years ago, but I missed I know, those. it's hard to believe, I isn't know, it, when you say it? <laughs> I missed the days. I missed the, the jocks. I missed the, the videos. I just missed MTV. It was so much fun Music those early was, days. Music was a lot more fun then. It that's, was. That's what I would say. Music was a lot more fun. Uh, I think it's taken way too seriously nowadays. Yeah. Um, 
Just my opinion. With the record companies <laughs> have made it so difficult for new bands to get going, you really just have to put out some free stuff as a free download or something. You have mm-hmm. to get your, your hits on YouTube or become a, an influencer or TikTok or something, but it's hard for or artists Or be on one states. of these crazy shows like, uh, you know, American Idol or Best Singer, or and I don't even watch those shows. I wouldn't have any clue who comes off of them. Now, I used to know. If they're good or bad, I yeah, don't know. Quick, name the last uh, two number one contestants from The Voice or American Idol. I can't. I used I to. Carrie Underwood and Daughtry and McPhee. And yeah, really, really early on, yes, it was. But I, I can't name one of them from the last decade from either show. Sure. And I'm exactly. sure they're talented. I've seen some of them over the years. But, you know, I, I miss those days of MTV. And I really would like to see... Peter Gabriel and Genesis get together somehow. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be great fun. I don't think it'll ever happen, uh, especially at their ages uh, and especially, you know, kind of the ill health that Phil Collins has been in. I I don't see it happening, but boy, if, you know, if you could dream it, (laughs) it would be fun and it would be a great show. I guarantee you between the two of them, they would put together a really great show. Would you put Peter Gabriel in your, say, top five solo artist of all time? He'd be close, absolutely. If not if not there, he would not definitely not fall to the top ten, but he'd probably be in the top five, yes. Yeah, it's fun talking about him, and I appreciate your input. That was great to hear. Peter Gabriel, our featured artist this week, as we round out season five already. Frankie, how about season That's six? Right. Ready to go? Absolutely. Get some uh, good ideas for some new features. So yeah. We'll see what we can come come together with we're going to have one called uh, great start and then <laughs> dot 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 <laughs> I like that. great start then dot 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 yeah. we're going to start with don mclean that's uh early on Ooh, in season wow, six that's definitely great start <laughs> yeah we'll have jerry rafferty and lots of other bands sure. uh, or groups that you thought would be just great and then dot 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 exactly because we can't say ellipses. It's very difficult to say that <laughs> behind the microphone. So, Frank, thanks for your input. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Great having you here. This is Tim Friedman. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a week off and give you highlights of Season 5 next week and then be right back with brand new episode, Season 6, starting the week after that, here on Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. We'll see you then.